Claire FM's Beyond Belief with Stephen Fletcher. It's nine o'clock on Sunday, the 4th of February, 2024. Time for Beyond Belief. Good evening, Stephen Fletcher with you again for the next hour and we have another packed programme for you. In the face of declining congregations, the Church of Ireland is looking at new ways of being church. Last year they launched something called Pioneer Ministry and I talked to the National Director of Pioneer Ministry in the church, the Reverend Rob Jones, to find out more about it. Our international jet-setting Vatican correspondent, Colin Flynn, has been in Turkey reporting on how the Catholic aid agencies have been helping the country recover from the terrible earthquake last year. Colin flew into Rome airport late last night, so I'm just hoping that he wakes up in time to join us. You may have also seen on Colm's social media pages that he had a private audience with Pope Francis last week, so I hope to hear more about that too. And of course, I meet up with Father Jerry Kenny ahead of St Bridget's Day public holiday tomorrow and talk about the making of crosses in churches and how grown-ups have also been learning to make their crosses. And with Lent not far away, we talk about our church's Lenten plans. All that to come, but last year I was at a social gathering in Ennis and a listener approached me and told me that I wasn't playing enough Irish music on Beyond Belief. So ever ready to keep the customer satisfied, here are the Martin Hayes Quartet with Brennan's Reel.
the Martin Hayes Quartet getting your feet tapping there. Here's something else that might get your feet tapping. sat down here in the Kilrush studio with my friend Father Jerry Kenny and uh, Jerry we've got our coffee as usual but also you'll notice that the supplies we're getting used to Lent so there's no mince pies there's no cake right, we've you're, got you're anticipating it though by a week I'm afraid uh, you know, we've so got we're here bit, with just biscuits with yeah, just, just plain dry. not even chocolate biscuits plain ones <laughs> let people know. well it's getting us in practice ready right. for Lent when when there'll be none of that well as always the hospitality <laughs> and, uh, and the humour is always good uh, between us Stephen and uh, very happy to be here with you well, of course this nice. is a special weekend for all of us I know, uh, this, I know. This, we'll have to get into this sort of February holiday weekend, holiday weekend. and it's great that it's honouring one of our great Irish saints Saint Bridget and just this past week, I was visiting the schools and the hive of activity in the classroom. I went into one classroom and the floor was just covered in rushes <laughs> because the kids were, were making their St. Bridget's crosses yeah. and uh, a hive of industry. But it's marvellous. I remember last week listening to the interview we had about St. Bridget and, um, you know, the, the way in which Bridget's crosses were used, if you like, down through the thing. And I never knew this, but on, on the interview they were remarking, well, that very often and it was used as a sort of nearly a symbol of peace like if two people were had had a row and they wanted to make up that they they use St Bridget's Day as a day where they exchanged Bridget's crosses and that that was a sign well look at the row is over yeah. and we'll move on things like that but the whole tradition of St Bridget is, is marvellous because such a caring person such a woman of, of great faith but also you know as well you know sort of had great care of the earth and kindness to people and it's a great example for us to, yeah. to follow and to celebrate. Yeah, it really seems to have caught on this year, doesn't it? You know, obviously I've been aware of it and I've been aware of Bridget's Crosses and all the rest for years since we've been coming over. But uh, uh, this year there were lessons in making Bridget Crosses in the Vandeleur Gardens during the week. So uh, people went along there and Francis went along and came back with three or four different sized uh, crosses. So, uh, yeah, as you say, it's quite an industry now uh, is, that people yeah, is, are doing is, you know yeah. they're doing it themselves and uh, it's lovely in the week as well on Thursday evening in Kilfenora Cathedral our cathedral that's only occasionally uh, has a service in it there was a service of blessing for uh, Bridget Crosses so that's good that that happened up in Kilfenora there yeah, and of course, you know, as well in, in our calendar, on the 2nd of February, we celebrate the Feast of Candlemas, which is the presentation of, of Jesus in the temple. And it's a time of, if like, just reminding us of Jesus Christ as the light of the world. And we traditionally bring candles that might be used for home use or for church use and bless them on that Feast of Candlemas as well. And then there's a tradition as well, and this weekend has been happening in all, a lot of churches, of the blessing of throats for the Feast of St. Blaise, who was a bishop and martyr, but was associated in the tradition with the rescuing of St. 
somebody who was choking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just a prayer of blessing, asking God to protect you from evil and from ailments of the throat. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice blessing that a lot of people come to receive. Yeah. And, of and, course, you and mm. I, you know, people like us, we need our throats, don't we? Oh, yes. For I communicating. Mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, so it's something that uh, we're always aware of. Yeah. <laughs> there we <As> are. <laughs> As well as the lozengers, we yeah, have yeah, to keep. Yeah, we have yeah. to keep it. Uh, yeah. have, to, have to keep it going, and so there's a lot happens. I feel like around this time of February, and then of course with Lent being so mm. early this year, like next week we'll be really talking about it. But uh, you know, anticipating it, I suppose, to a little extent, because this year there's a clash between Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day, yeah. the, the same day, the 14th yeah. of February. But I don't see that there's any disparity because it's all about experiencing in some way the love of God uh, in through maybe the love of our friends or partners or other people. And like Lent is the call of, I think, to help us to, to just get to love God a little bit better during that particular time as we approach the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, good to have that period really in uh, preparation for Easter, the glories of Easter coming. So uh, The other thing that's happening and is happening now in some parishes, I think especially even in this month, is that Bishop Finton is beginning his confirmation journeys through parishes. I know here in West Clare, he'll be coming, I think, sometime in March. But many parishes are, if you like, going to be celebrating their confirmation ceremonies with Bishop Finton in the coming weeks. And hopefully next week we'll be able to get him just to tell us about that because this year he has a special call for the confirmation ceremony, linking it in with the pastoral letter he wrote in the autumn of last year where he's calling us to, to look forward with faith, hope and love love into the future despite the challenges that might be there which I think is a very good call for our young people as well the challenges they'll face as they grow up and to have those important virtues of faith hope and love yeah and uh, challenges you know common to both of our churches really the declining numbers and declining numbers of priests and we're looking at something now and I got an interview coming up with somebody who is the director of Pioneer Ministry in our church. That's in church-wide in the Church of Ireland, you know, north and south. Uh, Pioneer Ministry is something looking at new ways of doing church, if you like, uh, that uh, new ways that we can engage with people. And so that interview is coming up. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what he has to say. Uh, the Reverend Rob Jones, who's the National Director for Pioneer Ministry in the Church of Ireland. So that's that's good. Also, I hope to be talking to Colin Flynn. But as we speak, Colin Flynn is in the air, flying from Turkey back to Rome and so he's promised to come and speak to us as soon as he gets up the following day and so uh, look forward to hearing about that because he went there he went to Turkey to see how things had developed after the the terrible earthquake that they had they had that terrible earthquake last year and uh, a lot of Irish aid went into there and a lot of people from Ireland were helping there mm -hmm. so he's keen to follow that up and uh, and so we'll quiz him on that and see his latest journey and of course I don't know if he's 
saw the picture that he posted on his website, but he did have a private audience with His Holiness the Pope. And there's a picture of him shaking hands and they both look as if they're really engaged with each other. They both seem to be having a laugh and it's a good firm handshake it looks like the Pope has on him. So we'll be finding out all about that and also whether he's washed that hand since. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, people like Colm, the journalist, they travel with the Pope uh, on his journeys to to other countries. So Colm would be quite familiar and perhaps Pope Francis has seen Colm in his role as well of being the link person for media and stuff like that. Um, So good to have that connection. Yeah, Yeah, well, we're we're honoured to have uh, someone the likes of whom uh, has shaken hands with uh, His Holiness to join us on the programme. But that's if he wakes up in time, of course. (laughs) 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 He he might sneak through it, in which case it'll either be you and me (laughs) chatting some more or else I'll be playing lots of music. But uh, (laughs) hopefully he'll be there anyway. Well, next week we'll be focusing, I suppose, on Lent, which we'll be getting on Wednesday week. 14th of February and this year I just see coming in my letterbox is the focus of what the Trocra Lenten campaign will be this year and they're particularly trying to assist in the work that they do in Malawi in Africa which is a very poor country and we'll probably talk to Trocra and engage with that as we go through Lent and see what see what is happening there. So, as always, thank you for the hospitality, for the coffee and for the biscuits. The They're biscuits, very nice. They're just, very nice. Just the one or two. And, uh, but we're getting in training, so we're, we're ready for Lent uh, next week. And it'll be hard tack next week. There'll right. be no luxuries next week. OK, well, we'll look at in the meantime, enjoy tomorrow, which is the public holiday, celebrating the Indeed. Feast of Bridget. Indeed, and, and also to you, Jerry. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this evening. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Well, that music can only mean one thing, and I'm sitting here looking at a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Colin Flynn, and I've lost my bet with Father Jerry. Uh, We said that you only flew in from Turkey uh, late last night and you'd be fast asleep and you'd you'd miss our appointment. But no, I was wrong, he was right. Colin, it's really good to see you. You thought I would be a no-show, Stephen, <laughs> that I would be so unprofessional, but here I am. Yeah, ever the pro, ever the pro. Well, thank you so much, because uh, you did fly in from Turkey uh, late last night, and I thought you might have uh, taken a little while to surface, but uh, it's really good to, to see you. And uh, how, how was Turkey, and what were you doing there? Turkey was beautiful. I had never been to Turkey before. Well, I'd passed through Istanbul Airport, it being the big European hub. When you're going to the east, it's kind of the link, you know, between the east and the west. Right. So we went there to do a report about the upcoming first anniversary of the major earthquake. And it's amazing when I talk to people about it, how quickly people forget just because of the world we live in and the fast pace of the news cycle. But it was this time last year when this huge earthquake, magnitude 7.8, it shook the ground in the south of Turkey along the border with Syria and completely leveled towns and cities. 60,000 people died. It's hard to comprehend that number. 60,000 
people Goodness dead. me. During, at 4.17am in the morning, uh, when the earthquake struck, a lot of the buildings were old, not very well built, not properly reinforced with steel, so the concrete just came crumbling down. And, you know, uh, thank God we live in a country where we're not prone to natural disasters. So we, we don't know what it's like to be in an earthquake. And the people in Turkey, they feel earthquakes all the time. Yeah. Small tremors, slightly larger ones. But one of this magnitude caught everyone off guard. And when I was talking to the people, the ones who survived, them just describing lying in bed and the earth moving first from side to side, side to side, and the bed's been pushed from one wall to another, and then up and down, up and down, the movement of the earth changes. So it was just horrific hearing the stories of people who were climbing out of the rubble, and someone told me they had lost their father, they couldn't find them, but they could hear them in the rubble for two days afterwards, calling out for help, and then the, the calling eventually stops. And now when we went around, the cities are still completely destroyed. Yeah. I mean, trying to rebuild all those buildings yeah. and then the people who were displaced are in tents and huts, temporary accommodation. I don't know too much about it, but I do know when I was there, people were saying, well, a lot of money was sent in for the aid and some of the money was slow to get to where it should go. And then some people were telling me, you know, that some of the money was going missing and these large sums were maybe being spent on things they shouldn't have been spent on by the government. Who knows? But what I do know is when I was in some of the towns, like uh, we went to one called Antakya, which was a beautiful city by this river and mountain. And it is strange when you're in the downtown of the city, one apartment block you can see in rubble it looks like it reminded me of ukraine when i was there last year when a bomb would directly hit a building and just annihilate it you've one building that is level to the ground but next to it you've an apartment block that more wealthy people were living in that remained standing and there's you can see some cracks in the concrete but the structure is still there and it's still livable and you wonder how come this building was completely annihilated and this one remained uh, so one of the big things was yeah how did all these buildings get built without the proper safety regulations and all that and then it comes down to you know maybe backhander deals and this and that yeah yeah anyway tragic and i had no idea that sixty thousand people perished most everyone I, I talked to just even myself and my producers reached out to me a while ago and we were looking at going they said yeah well we should go and do a report on this and i said oh yeah i remember the earthquake that was a you know you're trying to remember with everything that's happening in the world ukraine and israel and lebanon and i was saying yeah that was a big earthquake wasn't it and they said yeah sixty thousand people i said what 60 so when you go there everyone you talk to when we would talk to the guy in the shop or the person behind the reception at the hotel or the driver who was bringing us around they had a story of my cousin my uncle my husband they'd all lost people Um, it's desperate yeah, desperate situation tragic, really so what did you see of the catholic aid agencies working there doing the best they can and trying to you know the immediate thing is just the people who were displaced their houses destroyed the ones who survived where do they live so they quickly put up tents and huts and they're living in these big camps now but it's kind of a double whammy for some of the people because Stephen, many of them were refugees from syria so <laughs> a lot a lot of the people we interviewed were not turkish they were syrian and they had escaped the war in syria and they had moved into turkey 
And they were living in this accommodation given to them by the government of Turkey. So they were like, oh, I've been here now for 10 years. I escaped the war. I'm building my life. And then this happens. Mm. So now they're back in these camps. Some of them I interviewed for television. We need the emotions to grab the audience. We need people to tell their stories. And that's always the challenge that we face as program makers. When the aid workers we're dealing with, they say, and rightly so, they're trying to protect the people that they're helping. They say, Colm, we'll tell you about the situation, but we don't want you interviewing the people in the camps because it's trauma for them. And they, we don't want them reliving their trauma. And then I have to say to them, well, look, I understand that. And we don't want to come in in a sensational way and try and get these people to tell their heartbreaking stories for the purposes of entertainment or fast television. I try and explain, you know, I'm with EWTN. We come at it from a Christian perspective. We're trying to show hope and we're trying to get people to help. But we need those personal stories to connect with people and to engage them if we want to mobilize yeah. them to help. Yeah. So one or two people in the camps we talked to. And for a while I was thinking, how come these people aren't showing much emotion? or they don't seem very empathetic. And then it was one of the cameramen said to me, they just seem to be, they've lost hope, some of them. Yeah. Been through the war, been through the earthquake. And they're answering the questions I was asking, like, yes, we survived. It was terrible. The ground shook, the rubble, now we're here. And it just seemed like they're, they're just at a loss. They're, they're at their wits end. Yeah. And I, afterwards I realized, of course, that's why they just seemed kind of like. They're in shock. Hope. They're in shock. In yeah. shock. Yeah, and we just don't, I don't we don't know what to tell you, you know. Terrible, terrible. While we were there, Stephen, we also did a piece on. Uh, we did two reports. One was about the earthquake, and then we did another one about Christianity in Turkey. You know, you know, in Istanbul, it used to be the city of Constantinople, the in the Roman Empire, and the cradle, this um, just powerhouse of Christianity, the city, and then over the centuries, complex history unfolding, and now it is. 0.2% Christians wow. in Turkey. A hundred years ago, it was 20%. So in just one century, in just a hundred years, modern history, it went from 20% to 0.2% Christianity. So the church there, the, and the Catholic church is part of that 0.2%. So they're really struggling to survive. Yeah, and that it, was an interesting um, And you, you interviewed the archbishop there? Yeah, and what was remarkable was that we said, okay, we'll go and we have to talk about the persecution of Christians there. And when you go, many of the bishops and the priests, because they work there and they work with the authorities who are a Muslim state, mm. even though it's a religious freedom and it's a non-religious government, but really it is a Muslim state, they have to have good relations with the state and with the Muslim community. So they don't want to say anything that will get them in trouble. Yeah. And that's another challenge for us as program makers and journalists. We don't want to show a false narrative when we come back. Yeah. You know, things are not that bad. Yeah. So I'm talking to a bishop or a priest and off camera over tea, he'll be saying, oh, this is terrible and this happens and this, but I don't want to talk about that on camera. Yeah. And I say, well, look, what can you say on camera? Oh, I can say there are challenges. But the first day we arrived, Stephen, as we were sitting down to do the interview with the main bishop in Istanbul, news broke that 20 minutes from where we were sitting in another church during Sunday mass, two gunmen, two masked men with guns entered the church during Holy Mass, during the consecration. 
and they opened fire and shot at some people and they killed one person. Now, we're not sure of whether they meant to kill more people or not because they only killed one person. And if you watch the security footage, it looks like their guns jam for some reason. They're fiddling with their guns and then they run out. So then there was a debate. Was it an assassination of just one person that happened to be in a church or was it an attack on the church mm -hmm. because it's a Christian church? So it was just remarkable that we sat there and that tragic news unfolded that this man was shot and killed. He was a Muslim, it turned out. He wasn't actually a Christian. He was a Muslim who was going to the church, who was planning to convert yeah. from Islam to Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Then there was theories, well then maybe because of that conversion, yeah. he was a target and he was shot. And with other priests that we interviewed, there was another priest who used to be a Muslim, became a Christian and um, he was affected by the earthquake. And when we were setting up the story, he said, Colm, I'll talk about anything, but I don't want to talk about my conversion from Islam. So that would kind of tie in with that narrative. But then the authorities in Turkey, they found the men, apparently, and they said, oh, these two men were not Turkish, they're actually Russian. And then someone else, a journalist told me, but Colm, you can't trust that. Maybe they want to say that because they don't want to you know, put out the idea that we have extremists living here in Turkey and it's unsafe and yeah. we have religious fundamentalism or extremism. So it's not Turks, it's like these other people who came, who knows? But yeah. all I know is that it, the shooting happened in a church yeah. 20 minutes from where, where we were in another church with the bishop. Yeah. No, a terrible situation. And, you know, you just don't realise how fortunate we are here in Ireland. You know, uh, we do have religious freedom and uh, we don't have earthquakes, but uh, we have uh, other problems, but nothing, nothing like that. And I can't get over 60,000 people perish in that earthquake and we hardly ever talk about it. We don't talk about it. No. And it's, if it was in London, yeah. if it was in Paris... It would be wall-to-wall -wall news for an entire year oh, or something. goodness but, me, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. It's something to do with um, the news media and, you know, what's important, what's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's pe and, I, and I get it to an extent that when people are like us, it makes it more real. Yes. So when Madeleine McCann went missing, yes. because she was a small, white yeah. girl, yeah. beautiful looking, yeah. everyone was kind of captive. It could have been her daughter, someone yeah. that you see in walking through Ennis or wherever. When it is, I think, um, when you, they show the shots on TV of Muslims wearing the hijabs and the everything looks different. The homes are made of stone in a desert land and the people speak different and they act different. And maybe it's harder for us to connect with the story. Yeah. And so therefore the news don't cover it as much. Yeah. But maybe the news should cover it much to make us connect yeah. to it. Well, I mean, it's uh, thanks to uh, people like you and EWTN who uh, want to get the story out and uh, tell us. Yeah, so. and you, Stephen. You messaged me when I was over there and said, hey, the minute you come back, let's uh, talk about the story. <laughs> you know, yeah, it. well, it's always a, always a joy to speak to you. And, of course, you, you've met some important people in Turkey. But equally, before you went, you had an audience with Pope Francis. Tell me about that. That's right. They're letting anybody into the Vatican at the moment, <laughs> Stephen. 
Roll on up, everybody. No, no, no. <laughs> you, you took some lovely uh, shots as you walked through as well. Uh, you know, it was uh, such a highly decorated uh, uh, building. I have, I've never been there, and so it's uh, it's lovely to see. I hope one day to go, and uh, and perhaps uh, you, given that you've obviously got the magic pass to get in, you might even uh, accompany me or show me round. But uh, no, it was lovely. So how did that happen? How did you? end up having a private audience with Pope Francis. That was the day before I went to Turkey and it was a beautiful occasion, as you say, even just walking inside the Vatican. Yeah. You know, anyone can, if you come as a tourist to Italy, of course, and you come to Rome, anyone can visit the Vatican and go inside St. Peter's Basilica and visit the tombs underground and walk through St. Peter's Square over the cobblestone. And it's just a magical place to be, even for people who are not Catholics. They feel something there. But meeting the Pope, you get to go inside the Apostolic Palace. So you get past the, the security guards and the Swiss guards and you go up the stairs and everything is so decorative and everything is so beautiful. And everything has meaning, you know, all the elaborate paintings and the statues, they look, it looks like a palace, mm. why they call it the Apostolic Palace, but everything is, has a symbol and everything means something and everything is meant to make us think of the gospel story or a person in the gospel or something to do with our Christian heritage. But it was a few days beforehand, I got a call and they said the Pope has decided he wants to meet some of the journalists who cover the Vatican. So he'll have a private audience with a group of journalists who are dedicated to covering the Vatican and the Holy See. And uh, you've been invited, would you like to attend? <laughs> and I said, that would be wonderful, yes. And uh, they said, it's happening on this morning. And that was the day before Turkey. E even though if it was happening when I was in Turkey, I would have had to move the, the dates around. You can't really say no to the Pope. You yeah, can't tell yeah. the Pope you're busy with yeah. anything else. So we had to get up at uh, six in the morning and go and meet me and a few other journalists in St. Peter's Square. It was still pitch black, it was cold. And we go through all the security checks and then the people who work in the Apostolic Palace, who work in the Holy See office, they uh, who normally deal with the dignitaries and the heads of state, they brought us in and said, okay, this is the room you wait in and um, the Holy Father will be in at this time. and. Then they come into you a few minutes beforehand. The Holy Father is on his way. Please, everyone remain seated. When he comes in, you can stand for a moment. And then the Holy Father came in and we were sitting there and he gave a speech in Italian and talked to us about the importance of truth in journalism, how responsible, the responsibility we have to tell the truth when talking about the church. And he mentioned the abuse scandals mm -hmm. as well. He said, thank you for the work you've done in covering the abuse scandals. And he said as well as Catholic and Christian journalists, thanks for the the way you cover the abuse stories. So doing them in a sensitive way that's sensitive towards the victims, he said, and showing them respect. And he said, thank you for accompanying me on our trips around the world. He said, I know that often the hours are long and we're going to places like Bahrain or Mongolia or South Sudan, and it takes you away from your families and loved ones. He said, I appreciate that and keep doing what you do. So then afterwards, each of us one by one had an opportunity to walk up and the Pope was seated and we had a, a very quick moment mm. where you shake his hand, exchange some words. And um, then he gave me a little, uh, here I have, I'm holding up to the camera so you can see a prayer, a um, oh, set of yeah. rosary beads oh, blessed lovely. by the Pope with the Vatican symbol on the front there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, as I remember from your report on your social media, you said that uh, he spotted your green tie and uh, commented about uh, being Irish and uh, uh, 
And also, did he say that he'd seen you in Mongolia or somewhere? Or, or? Yeah, no, he didn't say that. When I walked towards him, and uh, you, you know, when you're going towards the Pope, you're thinking, what do I say? Or what will I, <laughs> oh, you're nervous and you're, okay, yeah, I yeah. not say this and that. Or, or what you, I have a quick moment here. Mm. And then I thought, Colum, don't overthink it. Keep it simple. And uh, when I went up, I just reminded him, you know, someone is there saying, Holy Father, I introduced to you. Colm Flynn of EWTN News. And, ah, oh, yes, yes. And he had a big smile mm -hmm. and uh, a, a thumbs up. And then I went over to him and I put out my hand uh, to shake his. And he had a very firm handshake, very yeah. warm handshake. Yeah. And I said, yes, uh, Holy Father, just to remind you, I'm from Ireland. And then he immediately jumped in. Yes, green Ireland. <laughs> and I said, yes, Pope Francis. And I went down. I said, that's why I wore my green tie. I was wearing my Celtic football club tie, which is a beautiful green tie. And he met the Celtic team recently. I said, I'm wearing, that's why I'm wearing my green tie. And he laughed. And then I just said, it's been a pleasure and a blessing mm -hmm. over the past number of years to travel with you to Iraq, to Mongolia and everywhere in between. Mm. I just said, thank you for all that you do. And uh, he said, no, no, thank you. And uh, <laughs> we laughed a bit and that was it. Yeah, a lovely picture, a lovely picture. And uh, you know, the, both the Pope and yourself are, are laughing, it seems, you know, and it's a very firm handshake. And I just wonder, have you washed that hand since you got back? <laughs> yeah. I, the, the hand hasn't been washed yet. <laughs> when I come down, I'll give you a special blessing with this hand. And, I shall uh, demand it. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And then you can wash it. Well done. And a, a fitting tribute. An honour, undoubtedly, but well-deserved. So, Colm, thank you so much. Listen, Stephen, always a pleasure to talk to you. We always have great fun talking <laughs> off-air and on-air. So, yeah. thanks for having me on again. Not at all, not at all. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away I wonder this time where she's gone I wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away And I know, 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 I know sunshine when she's gone Only darkness every day Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away That's Bill Withers, Ain't No Sunshine. 
You're tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening, and I'm very pleased to have been joined by the Director of Pioneer Ministry in the Church of Ireland, and that is Rob Jones, the Reverend Rob Jones. Good evening, Rob. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Stephen. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Now, Pioneer Ministry, Rob, let's go back to basics, really. It's something that is happening in the Church of Ireland now, something that there's uh, money being put towards. It's a big initiative. What exactly is it? Well, I think by definition, pioneering, the word pioneering, is about trying new things, employing new ideas and new methods in situations where perhaps older ideas and older methods no longer make an adequate impression. And so pioneering in the Church of Ireland is an attempt by us in the Church of Ireland in this new initiative, which is supported by the House of Bishops, by our governing body, General Synod, and by the representative body, which is like the fiscal or the financial part of the church that that basically runs the the various aspects along uh, with the provision of finances from parishes. And this new initiative is basically encouraging and challenging the church to try new ways of being the church, to pioneer new ways of being the church that perhaps the existing and beautiful traditional ways, which I love, that maybe aren't working the way they used to and we need to try new things and be pioneers in different situations. And I think that would be clear to any attender of churches that we see that I am probably of the age that most of the congregation are when we go. And so we're looking to bring not just youngsters, but new people in as well. Absolutely. I think we all know, and for your listeners, I'm sure, we all know the story of the decline that is happening in the church. And there are many reasons for that, some good and some not so good. And so there is a real sense that many congregations are declining across the denominations, not just in the Church of Ireland, but in many denominations. And so we have to do something. And so we're looking for new ways of doing church, which I assume means getting out of the building, does it? Or or do you want to multi-purpose these buildings and use them for other things as well? I mean, what what sort of things are you looking for? Well, that's a really good question, Stephen. And I think there is a real sense within the leadership of the Church of Ireland that there is a need to try new ways of reaching out And so the very DNA of pioneering is creating this entrepreneurial spirit within the various people who want to try new things to actually have no ulterior motives or any restrictions in what they do, but be free to try all and every new way of doing it. So to answer your question, it could be repurposing a building. It could be trying to start a new service alongside the traditional service. It could be trying something outside of a Sunday. For example, where you are in the West of Ireland, there's a beautiful sense of spirituality and the heritage of the saints and the monastic tradition. And perhaps it's trying to do church in a more monastic way that involves walking and nature and creation and beauty. And so 
it could be repurposing buildings or it could be changing what's there already or it could be something totally new that someone wants to try because they see a group of people that are willing to try it. And will this be done by the, the existing rectors and lay ministers in the church? Or how do you see it? Are you bringing in a whole new batch of new pioneer ministers? How, how does it work? Well, Stephen, what's really important and something that we've talked about before, you and I, is that this has to be contextualised to the Irish setting. And so there are lots of people already across the island and within the Church of Ireland who are already pioneering rectors, curates and lay people, they are already trying new things. I guess what we're trying to do is formalize that and create some funding for it. And so therefore create an actual coherent structure and system that we can get some level of sustainability and a sense of vision um, behind it. So yes, we will be bringing in some fresh blood and we will be training them. And also those people will be within the systems and structures of the Church of Ireland. They might be rectors that want to try new things, as I say, or they could be people that are outside the existing structures that want to be trained within the Church of Ireland to try some of these new pioneer projects. But it has to be within the contextualized structure of the Church of Ireland. What I mean by that is if you bring people in from other places who don't quite get it, there's room for that sometimes, but we need homegrown people who do it and try it. And so in years to come, it's growing and flourishing from within. And these people, what sort of training will they have? What sort of resources in training will you bring to them? Yeah, so in the Church of Ireland, and not to go through the details, there's basically three tracks of training. There's the ordained ministry. And within that, we have uh, the stipendary ordained, people who are ordained and become priests, uh, deacons and then priests, and they're paid for that and they're trained either residentially or non-residentially. Then we have ordained local ministers who are ordained and deacons and priests, and they, they wouldn't be paid. Then we have the lay ministers within the church, diocesan readers and parish readers, and they are working, they're not ordained. And some of them might be paid, but usually not paid. They get some sort of, you know that, you're one of them yourself. And then this new category is Pioneer Ministry, where basically we are starting a brand new training structure where over three years, people who have a particular project that they want to work on will be trained on that project. They'll be trained over the three years, which will be paid for by the representative body in the Church of Ireland. And that will be five weekends over every year. So in total, it'll be 15 weekends and they'll receive the training in those weekends and then coaching and mentoring and instruction on their pioneer project that they're trying. The Church of Ireland has released funds for 30 of these projects and 30 of these people to be trained and they will be paid in funded projects. Now that's just those who be paid and funded. We also want to mobilize volunteer pioneers as well that won't be paid and that we can get a real sense of movement dynamics going, Stephen. And the ones that are paid and will they end up as ordained priests or will they continue to have a lay status? Well, it's interesting question because we are in the middle of our first application process at the moment, Stephen. And we have received applications from across the island, women and men, young and more aged. Some of them are ordained and some of them are lay. And so the idea is that this will not 
take over from the ordained ministry, indeed not from the existing lay ministry, but irrespective of whether they're lay and ordained, they'll be working on these pioneer projects. So let's say someone goes in as a lay person and they do the three years training and they get a license as a pioneer. At that stage, they might very well discern a call to the ordained ministry and begin that training process. But at the end, they won't become ordained unless they choose to go on that track. So how does that work? Uh, You're going to be in every diocese, are you, and uh, looking for projects? Yeah, so I've already been in every diocese. And I suppose, Stephen, my first duty is to listen and to listen to people. And that's one thing I've really learned. Listen to what's going on. Listen to the leaders that are already working faithfully there. Listen to what they would like to do. And then from that, try and help and develop projects that could be contextualized to wherever they are in whatever part of the island they're in. And so listening is very, very important. We don't want to come down with pre-subscribed ideas. We do have some ways that we can give examples, but listening to what God is doing and might be calling the church into, and then from that, encouraging them into either funded projects or even smaller volunteer projects in various parishes, just to try many different things to reach out, because the vision of Pioneer Ministry is to reach those with little or no connection to church. So people who aren't in any church and to reach them, and we know there's hundreds of thousands of people on the island no longer professing faith or part of any church. Stephen, I think people are hungry. And I think over the years, the church, if I might say, across the denominations has perhaps let people down in certain areas. And I say that with any judgment, I'm ordained myself in the Church of Ireland. I have been for the guts of uh, 16, nearly 17 years. I love the church, but I think the church perhaps has let people down in different situations. And that is a whole other conversation. But I think people are hungry and I think people need feeding they need a sense of of god's love and they need a sense to know that they are loved and they need to learn about faith and grow in faith and not everyone is in that category but i do think there's a hunger even within those within the church for something more and for something maybe different in certain areas to kind of pioneer some different projects yeah and when you look at it i mean traditionally sunday was a day of rest and nothing was done on sunday other than perhaps go to church and that was a lot of people used to go to church now of course there's so much on sundays you know not just sport but the kids are doing things and so you know perhaps uh, a simple thing would be to pick a different day well that's fascinating there's a couple of things i'd say the phrase of going to church essentially you are going to a service on a Sunday. The church is so much more than gathering to worship and pray and fellowship and listen to God's uh, teaching and scripture and so on and so forth. The church and what the church should do should be not just on a Sunday, should be throughout the week. So every day uh, we could try something. But I do agree, now is the time with sports and other activities and people so tired and yeah. the weekends are so precious. We should look to explore other days, Stephen, to meet and to gather and to reach people where they're at. 
So let's uh, move forward and say in six or nine months' time, you would hope to see some projects in each of the dioceses, would you? And how would these be sort of administered? How, you know, there's talk of hubs. What, what do you see your hubs doing? Yeah, so the representative body, which is the financial body, which is providing the funding, has given funds for a certain amount of projects every year. So we have 11 dioceses in the Church of Ireland. So therefore, we don't have enough funds in the first year to have 11 projects. But we would want projects in every diocese over the period of this whole initiative, which is 10 years and God willing, even beyond that. So in the first instance, we will pick a certain amount of projects to invest in. And those people who are working in those projects will be trained in this new training course I've just talked to you about, which will be done in collaboration with uh, the Church of Ireland Theological Institute and our training partner, Church Army, which is a wonderful organization with great reputation on this island for training and great leaders in, in the area of pioneering and other areas too. So we will have these projects, but you mentioned the word hubs. And a hub is basically, Stephen, it's kind of one of these fancy words, but essentially it's just a team of people in a diocese who will help me as a director to do three things, to advocate for pioneer ministry, to champion and support pioneer ministry. And essentially, if there is a parish that wants to learn more about pioneering and volunteer projects, that I can work with that team of people to get the resources to that parish, that I can help that parish to maybe try new things. And so a team on the ground in each diocese that I can work with very simply, wherever they're based, to kind of make sure, well, I can't do all the work myself, but also to empower each diocese. So, Rob, uh, you've got some interest already, I'm sure. What, what sort of ideas have, have been coming forward with, with people suggesting things? Yeah, so as I was saying before, Stephen, it's really important that these projects are contextualised to the various settings. So it'll work in Dublin, where I am, might not work in the west of Ireland. It probably won't, and neither should it. So the projects that are coming in are varied and contextualized to their setting. So let me give you a couple of examples. And without going into which diocese this is from, that wouldn't be fair at the moment. But one diocese has seen a need in the farming community. And there is a real need, especially with young farmers who are predominantly male, not all male, but they're struggling with loneliness. They're struggling with mental health. They're struggling with the fact that there's issues with finance and the, the, the problem with succession and all these things with, with the various issues that can happen with farmers. My, my family, there's farming in my own background going back generations. And so this project, they basically want to employ what they're calling a pioneer chaplain who wouldn't expect people to come to the church on a Sunday, but would go to the marts, the places where cattle and sheep are being sold or bartered or whatever the system is and to create community there. And then from that, find a way that they can reach these people who can never come on a Sunday because they milk or whatever else is going on on a Sunday and they're busy or whatever the reason, and reach them where they're at and care for the needs of those people who aren't existing uh, parishes or yeah. churches. That's, that's one example. Another one I would say is there's a beautiful project coming through around uh, spiritual tourism. And that, again, there's this desire to go to the 
beautiful places that are in our tradition, like Maumeen out in your neck of the woods there in Connemara in, in the West, where St. Patrick supposedly was. People take pilgrimages to this site and people are going on these walks and pilgrimages or even out in nature and they'll never come into a church building on a Sunday. So creating a project where you harness that beauty of our heritage and tradition and spirituality and grow community from that. Yeah. And this person wants to create a sort of a, a leader to foster that. So there's two ideas, yeah. there's many others, like cafe yeah. churches and other things. Of course, and of yeah. course, here in Clare, we've got Scattery Island, uh, home of St. <laughs> Senan. And uh, yeah. that's a, a beautiful uh, little island to, to go to. And, uh, yes. and so, yeah. I'm sure there are many other places that people would love to walk to and love to to have their spirituality just encouraged and developed. So and, and to, to grow communities as well, because I do a bit of walking up in the Dublin mountains here, and there's a wonderful community forming. Individuals who were strangers now walk together, and suddenly they're going for meals and they're beginning to form communities so out of these projects is the, the hope to form new communities yeah and that ultimately is the church isn't it is communities of people yeah, yeah. and it, it struck me when you were talking about the marts and of course you go to the marts and that is a social event for many of the farmers that's probably the only time they meet up with their friends and of course yeah. they have a good good fry up a good breakfast or something and there's plen <laughs> plenty of crack and uh, you know i go yeah. to our local mart just just yeah. to, for the occasion you know just to 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 see what's going on and there's great community there and and uh, yeah to have a chaplain there just there just there to listen and to uh, to yeah. support so rob how would you sum up the opportunity that you have with this i think stephen it's a very exciting but yet very challenging time for the church and i think as i said the church needs to listen but we also need to be courageous in trying these new things and remembering the words of Christ that he called us to go <laughs> and go out and to make disciples. Um, but to do that in a respectful and loving and caring and kind and beautiful way. And so the hope is with pioneering that we can develop new ways of being the church. And so we're looking forward to that. And if you need any information, go to our website, www.pioneerministry.org. And you can get my details up there. We're also on Instagram, Pioneer Ministry COI, and Facebook, Pioneer Ministry Church of Ireland. So if anyone wants any information, you can get me there. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Stephen, and for your listeners. <laughs> Not at all. Well, Rob Jones, well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we do wish you every success in your ministry, this new exciting ministry that you're looking to develop. So, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen, very much.
Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand by Diana Ross and it brings us towards the end of tonight's Beyond Belief. My thanks go to Colin Flynn for joining us from the Vatican and telling us about how Turkey is recovering from the earthquake where 60,000 souls were lost and also telling us about his audience with Pope Francis. Also my thanks go to the Reverend Rob Jones, the Church of Ireland National Director of Pioneer Ministry, who told us about the initiative to find new ways of doing church. And of course I thank Father Jerry Kenny for our chat over coffee. Remember you can listen again by going to the Claire FM website and clicking on the catch up tab. And you can join Father Jerry for Sunday prayer at a quarter to eight next Sunday morning and Beyond Belief next Sunday evening at 9pm. And as we close, let's just pause and hold all those in Israel, Palestine, Gaza and Ukraine in our hearts and pray for a fair and just solution to the conflict. And we pray for those forgotten victims and the families of those 60,000 who died in the earthquake in Turkey last year. I'm Stephen Fletcher and as ever I thank you for being with me this evening and I wish you a joyful and peaceful week ahead. Do keep warm and dry and until we meet again may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Slán agus banacht.